Yeah. This app is dedicated. This is the Pop Punk Project. To everyone who ever listened to pop punk music. You know what I'm saying? This is for you. To everyone who never liked listening to hip hop. This is for you. To everyone who's ever been called an emo. Y'all know what I'm saying? This is for you. What? Here we go. Here we go. Uh, do you think anybody will actually get that reference, Mike, or...? <laughs> uh, probably not, Keenan. Maybe if they stick around, they will. If they're real fans of GC, they should. Hopefully we don't have any Poser GC fans in this uh, community this week, Keenan. That's true. I guess we should probably say uh, today's episode, Good Charlotte, self-titled album. I forgot we usually introduce the album first. Yeah. <laughs> I was so focused on nailing that uh, impression that I totally forgot about that part. Well, you did nail it, Keenan. I want to assure you, you did definitely nail it. What do you say? Shall we stage dive in? We shall. Here we go! Good Charlotte's self-titled album is the band's debut. Released on September 26, 2000 through Epic and Daylight Records. Despite receiving favorable reviews, the album actually undersold expectations, charting at only number 185 on the Billboard 200. The album's first single, Little Things, reached the top 30 on the mainstream, top 40, and the alternative songs charts. It has been certified gold in the U.S. Mike, what does gold mean again? Do you remember? Gold is 500,000 units shipped, Keenan. Okay. Got it. Yeah, units shipped. Halfway to platinum. Cool. I like that it's shipped. Whether or not it made it to the destination, they've all been shipped. (laughs) You know they didn't have tracking numbers back then. No, definitely not. Between March and May 2001, the group went on tour with MXPX and appeared at HFSTival. Is that how you would say that? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I, I put that in. Not knowing if you would have any idea how to pronounce it, but you kind of nailed it. I think that's right. <laughs> well, according to my notes, Keenan, it is a very popular rock festival, not that popular, uh, in the D.C. Baltimore area. The group also participated in the Warp Tour between June and August of that year. Now, Mike, here's a little local flavor for you. Mm. In 1999, Good Charlotte opened for Save Ferris in Philadelphia. Uh, first of all, before I continue forward, Mike, have you ever heard of Save Ferris before? Uh, no. Outside of the movie it's referencing, I have no idea who they are. Okay. I looked them up. They were a popular, I think, pop punk. They might have been like a ska band, but sorry if uh, we butchered that. But I do think they were popular at the time. Anyway, after their performance, Good Charlotte left behind a demo of Little Things that soon got airplay on local radio station Y100 which apparently was a springboard to further exposure and airplay. Y100 was like the alternative rock station in Philadelphia. It was, Keenan. It was the alternative station that we grew up on. We uh, went to the Y100 Festival to see Good Charlotte actually in 2004. So very appropriate. I never knew the origins of their relationship with that station. Yeah. So I want to think we played some role in there. Famous success, so (laughs) kudos to us, Mike. Nice work. All right, Mike. This is September 2000. What in the world's going on here? 
believe it or not, Keenan, a lot, a lot of stuff's going on. Mm, okay. Hit me with it. On September 10th, the 52nd annual Primetime Emmy Awards aired, Keenan. The drama field was dominated by the first year series, The West Wing. That's one that you like, right? I love The West Wing. Yeah, one of my all-time favorites. Same with my dad, and one of the ones that I haven't watched yet. The West Wing won Outstanding Drama Series in addition to four other awards, and it led all shows that year. I'm not surprised by that, Mike, because, yeah, as we've mentioned, it's such an awesome show. And I think season one in particular was standout. I think it was unlike anything anybody had ever seen before, especially from the, you know, political drama category. Yeah, (laughs) it really is a a genre changing show, Keenan, from my experience with it. And you totally know that. You know what? We should have your dad call in. Maybe your dad can comment on it. Yeah, he also took me to that Good Charlotte concert, so he would have a lot to say this episode. That's true. Damn. Missed opportunity. Tim, call in. It's interesting it was its first year, though, because you see those stories where really, really good shows just never win year after year. So to win right out of the gate is pretty cool. Another first-time winner that year, Keenan, James Gandolfini became the first HBO actor to win the lead actor drama Emmy for The Sopranos. Wow, another show that you have not seen. Another one of our favorites. Certainly one of mine. It's rare that we get to talk about two incredible shows that I haven't seen all in one fun historical fact, so we had to talk about the 52nd Emmy Awards. (laughs) Yeah. God, that was such an awesome time for TV shows. Those were literal all-timers. I do kind of miss the period in our lives where Yes, it's great to have more choices and more options these days, but it was nice to just have a couple different shows that everybody was watching and everybody was talking about. Yeah. You get that every once in a while. I think Game of Thrones was probably the last one that it seemed like the whole country would watch each Sunday. But um, for the most part, there's so many options these days that there's not one particular show that is at the pinnacle at any given time. Completely agree. What the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know, but it's good. <laughs> On September 10th, Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical Cats closes. Mike, can you write anything correctly? <laughs> <laughs> Copy paste, baby. <laughs> Cats closes at Winter Garden Theater, New York City after 7,485 performances. It won seven Tony Awards three Drama Desk Awards, and a Grammy. Wow, Mike, everybody knows about those crazy Drama Desk Awards. The coveted, elusive Drama Desk Awards. <laughs> Wait, so, okay, I know that Cats is, like, one of the best musicals of all time, celebrated for years. That's a lot of performances, but seven Tony Awards? That's not a lot, is it? Is that, like, the Tony Award for best musical? Because, like, maybe that's a big deal. Yeah, I think... Similar to Grammys and Oscars, there's multiple categories in the Tonys, and I'm pretty sure you can only win a Tony once. Like, each play has one year that they're eligible, like the first year that they're oh in production. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Are you sure that that's true? Actually, no, I might be making that up. Like, can Book of Mormon win the Tony Award for Best Comedy seven years in a row? Right, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. 
Should have. <laughs> Does Tim Moynihan know? Can he call in and weigh on that too? <laughs> What's his musical knowledge? Let me Google how many times can you win a Tony Award. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that because movies come out once and that's that. Whereas musicals can go on for 7,500 performances. Right. Nominators serve for overlap. Oh, that's nominators. I don't want to know about nominators. There's <laughs> always like some the people stupid, that are nominating. Some stupid random fact that like. <laughs> While we're at it, can we look up drama desk awards? <laughs> I need to know what that is. The rules for the Tony Awards are set forth in the official document rules and regulations of the American Theater Wings Tony Awards. Let's pull that up real quick. Let's have a nice quick read. For the purposes of the award, a new player musical is one that has not previously been produced on Broadway and is not determined to be a classic or in the historical popular repertoire. Okay, so maybe I'm thinking you can only win new once, but oh, okay. I guess you can win awards multiple years running. Like you can win best musical if that's even a category multiple times. Right. Because okay. it also mentions the Big Six Awards, similar to the Big Four and Oscars. So to win seven Tony Awards, that's more than the Big Six. So this is probably over multiple years. So Gotcha. Okay. After 7,400 performances, seven actually isn't that impressive. I know. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but hey, what do we know? Maybe it is a big deal. Somebody's going to write to us. I know. Give us, this is all really easily researched information. We just didn't research it. Yeah, sorry guys. Apologies. But yeah, if you're a fan of musical theater and you have an opinion on this, please reach out, send us an email. We'd love to know the correct answer to this because we're not going to look it up. So that's that. Yeah, we just tried and it didn't really help. <laughs> <laughs> no, we learned about nominators though. That's good. <laughs> on September 15th, Keenan, let's get off of that subject. <laughs> let's get out. The 27th Olympic Games opened in Sydney, Australia. There we go. Some athletics, Mike. Something we know way more about. Me and you? You especially, I guess. You're very Olympically uh, inclined. That's right. Olympically inclined is how I would describe myself. <laughs> I'm putting that on my LinkedIn profile, actually. So I wanted to look this one up, Mike, because I do remember the Olympics from the year 2000. I don't remember anything specific. Same. But I did find a couple pretty interesting highlights. You ready for these? Oh, sure. A 15-year-old Michael Phelps made his Olympic debut. Ah, Heard of him. Yeah. Uh, he ended up becoming a pretty big name, Mike. I don't think his performances were anything to write home about, but I did read something that I thought was kind of funny. He showed his youth by taking the wrong athlete credential to the pool for one of his races and also forgetting to tie his swimsuit strings before his very first race. Hmm. Is that a rule? You must tie your strings? I don't think it's a rule, but I think he was probably caught on camera, like tying his strings <laughs> while everybody else was like, you know, doing their warm ups and stuff. So I think that stood out. He just took a piss. <laughs> probably. <laughs> just walking back to the pool, adjusting his shorts. Exactly. So that was memorable. Um, the American track and field athlete, Marion Jones, who was the biggest American star of the games, she would be stripped of all five of her medals after a 2007 admission that she used performance enhancing drugs leading up to the games that was a humongous deal i remember her being stripped of the medals i don't remember her winning them yeah i think she had like three golds i think the others were like a silver and a bronze or something looking back it's i don't know it's conflicting because it's similar to what lance armstrong did in cycling where it appears that everybody was utilizing performance enhancing drugs so right doesn't that then just realign the playing field yeah, I 100% agree. And my motto is, maybe you can tell by my Livestrong band that I'm currently wearing, but ah. 
I think people deserve a second chance, Mike. I think they should give all those medals back is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. Give the medals back. Let Lance Armstrong be Tour de France guy for yeah. however many he won. Give Reggie Bush his Heisman back. All that stuff. I'm good with like that. Barry Bonds, home run king. Okay, like Good for me. Yeah. If it happened, it happened. You're not going to rewrite the history books, Keenan. Unless you're Russian, in which case, get out of here. You're banned. I'm okay with the asterisks next to the name, but I'm not going to read what the asterisks is there for. No way. I'm just going to glide right past that. <laughs> and then finally, Mike, Vince Carter. Maybe you remember this one because I remember this one. I remember watching this video over and over again. Mm-hmm. Vince Carter became very famous for posterizing the seven foot two inch Frederick Weiss in a preliminary game against the French. That's that image of him, like literally jumping over this humongous dude. Uh, pretty sure he essentially teabagged him in the process, and they <laughs> called it uh, the Dunk de la Mort or the Dunk of Death. So cool. So cool. Yeah, Vince Carter had a couple of insane dunks back in the day. I think he just recently retired, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, he's one of those guys who played literally forever. He was like an old man when he finally retired. They kept doing stats about young guys in the league and how old they were when Vince Carter made his debut. A lot yeah. of people just weren't born because it's been over 20 years. So It's insane, uh, yeah. Congratulations to Vince Carter. He provided a lot of memorable moments over the years. Yeah, if you're teabagging the French, you have my support. <laughs> Soccer bleu! <laughs> Uh, all right. A fun segment, Mike. Cue the music. Celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings. Here are some or one celebrity wedding. On September 2nd, the Backstreet Boys lead vocalist. Is Brian Luttrell considered the lead vocalist of the Backstreet Boys? Maybe he is. I think either him or AJ would be considered the lead vocalist. I always thought uh, Nick Carter was. Hmm. I don't know. I have limited Backstreet Boy knowledge. I do have some, but I was always under the impression, because my wife's a huge Backstreet Boys fan, that Brian started out as the lead vocalist, and in previous years, I believe he's had surgery on some vocal cords to address mm. you know stuff going on there. So he got booted. So I don't think he really takes the lead as much anymore. He has more trouble hitting all the notes, but... I see. If whatever we looked at said it, then it must be so. <laughs> Gotta be. Okay, sorry for getting sidetracked. Brian <laughs> Luttrell of the Backstreet Boys, who was 25 at the time, weds actress Leanne Wallace, who was 31 at the time. Wow. Mm. She was robbing the cradle. Leanne. Yeah, they were married in Atlanta, Georgia, and they're still together to this day, which is pretty awesome. He was only 25 when he got married, and they're still together. That's great. Fantastic, Keenan. You know... Uh, being young in Hollywood forces you to grow up fast. So that was after the Millennium album came out. He could have had any woman in the world. Maybe not any, but a good number of them, I would imagine. Well, Leanne Wallace is one lucky lady, that's for sure. Yeah. I saw the Backstreet Boys back in 2019, and Brian's son, Bailey Luttrell, actually opened for them. So Whoa. they have a prosperous marriage, it would seem. Yeah. Amazing. You like my Bailey Luttrell fun fact? Yeah, that's very good. You don't get too many of those fun facts. All right. No more fun, Mike. Mm. Celebrity death. We're so sad this celebrity died. On September 28th, Keenan, 
Pierre Trudeau, the fifth Canadian Prime Minister, dies at the age of 80 of Parkinson's disease and prostate cancer. Jeez, Mike. Got really sad with this one. Very sad. I mostly included this because I never realized that current Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's father was Prime Minister. I found that interesting. That's right, Mike. Maybe if you read a book, you'd know that. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah, or just I was like one click away from finding this out on Wikipedia. I just never got there. In your defense, Mike, I also did not know this until somewhat recently. I think I stumbled upon it during a documentary or something like that. Probably within the last like year or two. So yeah, also kind of news to me. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I don't know if it's considered a conspiracy theory or an internet rumor, but I've seen before that there's speculation that Justin Trudeau was actually fathered by Fidel Castro, the former dictator of Cuba. <laughs> I, I did not hear this. Have you ever now. heard that? No. People will post pictures of a young Fidel Castro compared to a young uh, Justin Trudeau. And I always would see that rumor or speculation and just think, why or how was Justin Trudeau's mother in a position where she had access to the leader of Cuba? Now you know. Now yeah, it makes know. a lot more sense now. Yeah, I just took that as as not fact, but like, oh, okay, I guess that could have happened. Anything's possible. Wow, that's an interesting theory. I'm all for a good conspiracy theory, Mike. Yeah, especially one that this one doesn't really hurt anybody. It's just kind of like, <laughs> what if? <laughs> I mean, could ruin an entire family, but, you know, other than that, whatever. Well, Mr. Uh, Pierre passed away 22 years ago, so hopefully we won't stir up too much on this story. Rest in peace. All right, Mike, time to discuss some GC, one of our favorite bands of all time. Track number one from this album is called Little Things. Yeah, this song is dedicated is good to every kid who ever got picked last in gym saying. class. This is for you. To every kid who never had a date to no school dance. This is for you. To everyone who's ever been called a freak. This is for you. Here we, here we go. Yeah. Uh, what? Come on. Yeah. What? It's the first single, so obviously a banger right out of the gate, Mike. Keenan, you know what I want to say. Should I say it? Say it. Let's hear it. It's a great upbeat opening track. It's so great and so upbeat, Mike, that it's the exact song that we spoofed in the intro to this episode. And we did a really good job with that, Keenan. So good. I'm sure everybody picked up on it and it went over great. I'm not sure how your Good Charlotte experience was. I had listened to The Young and the Hopeless prior to getting this album. Yep. Me too. But I would imagine if you did pick up this album for the first time when it was originally released, to have this song start out is pretty epic. And this is actually from the albums I listened to, the only one that doesn't start off with some boring musical track. So to have yeah. little things come on right away is uh, is pretty cool. Like the time we made the baseball team, they still laughed at us. You still like the time that girl broke up with me because I wasn't cool enough. Trick! Thanks. Thanks. Here we go. Let's go. Let's go. 
Well, you hear Good Charlotte's pretty unique sound right away. They're one of the only pop punk bands that has like a hype guy in the background. Uh, they also have verses that pretty much verge on rap. Like we've heard some 41 have some rap verses as well, but Good Charlotte does it in a bunch of their songs. And this is one that stands out right away. It's their intro track and they're already doing something totally different from a lot of the bands that we knew back in those days. I believe that because Joel Madden is the lead singer and his twin brother, Benji Madden, provides the backup vocals, they are more in sync and in line with one another. And it kind of makes their interactions vocally even better because their voices are similar. So when you have Joel singing one thing and Benji singing either background or in this case, like shouting back and forth with Joel, I just think that really improves the experience, the fact that they're related and so in tune with one another. Oh, yeah, completely agree. I think they have some of the best vocals of any pop punk or emo band at that time. Their harmonies are so on point, and it's harmonies that you and I would try to mimic or try to recreate when we would sing these songs together. But yeah, they're you know vocally some of the best singers we've heard. Absolutely. I don't want to jump ahead in this song, but... The last harmony they do before the final chorus is so great. You know the sound that the THX logo makes before a movie? Yeah, it does sound like that. Yeah, the fact that they're able to do that together while singing, it's always just made me so pumped up when I hear that. So Agreed. But as a big picture, I think this song is about one of the themes that we'll find a lot across this album is not fitting in and just being a big old bunch of losers. That's right, yeah. I almost thought this song was the anthem before the anthem. Obviously, they came out with the anthem, you know, another loser anthem Whoa. Uh, on their next album. But this was like the original version of that. It was shout out to the kids that don't fit in. And I think the little thing specifically, that's a reference to all these little minor annoyances that you go through as a teenager, you know, getting picked on for how your hair looks or, you know, somebody knocking your books out of your hands, all these little things that add up that just make life so much more difficult when you're that age. Right. If the anthem was the song about not fitting in in life, this is kind of the precursor of how one does not fit in in high school. Yeah. We see a lot of examples where they were poor, they had to take the bus they made the baseball team and still got made fun of. Yeah. The girls would go out with them and then break up with them because they weren't cool enough. Trick. Just everything was not going their way. It's funny. Listening to this song, how different it is from our high school experience. Like, it's almost as if they're living the stereotypical, like, 2000s teen movie high school life. Whereas you and I, I mean, it was just so much sheltered. Obviously, we've talked about it at length, but all boys schools. But... The one thing we do have in common, though, is we did take the bus to school, at least for the first couple years of high school. Uh, and you and I were on the same bus. Do you remember our bus number? Yes. Uh, SJ4. That's right. One thing that we don't really ever dive into, Mike, is our bus ride to high school 
has to be one of the most unique things out there. I would imagine not many other people have that type of day because we went to high school in the city of Philadelphia. So about a 45, 50 minute commute, like normally. And then after you pick up everybody, it just adds more and more time to the route. But I think we got to the bus stop at like six something in the morning. Yeah, it was like 615 or 620. Yeah. And then to leave enough time for everybody to participate in sports and activities at the end of the day, the bus wouldn't depart from school until 520 p.m. So yeah, they were very long days, very early days, very late days. Yeah, there were times when we wouldn't see our house during any daylight for, you know, essentially every single weekday. But yeah, so we would leave our houses around, you know, six at the latest. We'd get home at like 7.30 p.m., just kind of a crazy day. And it was a long time to be stuck on that bus. So we've had some some shenanigans happen on the bus. Those are long rides for, you know, prepubescent or midpubescent kids to be sort of crammed together. Mm-hmm. Kind of wild times. That's just something that I I kind of take for granted. Like people don't have that experience. A lot of our friends would literally like walk to school if they went to local public school. They could just walk from their house to school. Not us. Yeah, I think that definitely strengthened us. I think I took the bus my freshman and sophomore year. And so by the time I could drive, you just really appreciated being able to be done with your classes and just leave because, yeah, I mean, you couldn't leave if you wanted to for the first two years of high school. But I'm just glad like we had uh, some light hazing rituals when we were in school. Do you remember yeah. freshman runs? Oh, yeah. Freshman runs. <laughs> it was basically just the freshman ran to the back of the bus and then back to their seat while all the older kids like pushed them and like (laughs) gave them like noogies and stuff. Do you remember they shut that down? I want to say it was like maybe halfway through our freshman year, they shut it down because they're like, okay, no more physical assaulting people on the bus. Sure. And so we turned it into insult runs (laughs) where you'd run and people just like yell at your face. (laughs) It was like way less exciting, but also uh, a little bit more creative. Yeah. It was kind of more fun. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't think any of the real freshman runs ever got too out of hand. I'm sure some things happened over the years, but I don't know. All the older guys on our bus, we all became pretty close over the years. So Yeah. Plus, you and I, we had my older brother Shane to protect us. He was a a very intimidating presence on the bus, so he always took care of us. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I don't think anybody even knew Shane was on the bus. He would go on (laughs) any sort of form of transit and fall asleep immediately. He just falls asleep, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you'd be like oh here we are like, uh you know teleporting to your destination yeah he's like my infant child like let's just put <laughs> shane in the car and he'll fall asleep yep in regards to the sports team they make keenan do you think there was a worse team for them to participate in than baseball it definitely doesn't seem like the team that they should be on if you're punk rock are you really going out for the baseball team apparently they were i could see them being like hockey players maybe yeah, I was thinking something with like a loose fitting jersey because yeah, baseball uniforms are tight pants and like button up jerseys, whereas football, hockey, basketball, there's they're more loose fitting like cultural kind of jerseys. So yeah, they're definitely more punk rock sports compared to baseball. There's no doubt about that. I guess they just were good at baseball. Well, uh, yeah, they made the team and still got made fun of. So uh, I guess it wasn't really the sport for them. Yeah, I wonder if that was just infighting amongst the jocks. Like, were the football jocks just mean to the baseball jocks? Could be, yeah. Also, I'm very sorry to say this, but 
everybody knows that kid on the team that like really probably shouldn't be on the team. And it is fun to laugh at them. <laughs> You're laughing with them, not at them. Like, oh, 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 Madden's up, Madden's up. Let's let's yeah. go <laughs> let's go watch him strike out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Bring it in. That was like uh that was like you and me on the baseball team, remember? <laughs> yeah. Bring it in, the kid with pink hair is up. <laughs> yeah. That's probably why they didn't they probably were wearing these like baggy pants. I was holding them back and they were running the bases. So they would get thrown out every time. That's all it was. Like tripping yeah. over their humongous shoes or something. They had so much big league chew weighing them mm-hmm. down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they didn't wear cleats, they wore Doc Martens. <laughs> That's right. Well, that brings me to the music video, Mike. The music video, we kind of see a little bit of their high school lives, don't we? I thought this was a really classic high school setting for a video. It reminded me a lot of something corporates. If you see Jordan music video, if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like a very similar premise where the band is trying to rock out at high school and um, they're just kind of walking around the high school, like just getting into trouble, getting yelled at and being punk rock. And it ends with an amazing band performance in the high school gym, just like the something corporate video. Yeah, exactly. Which you would think nobody would want to show up to that performance, given how apparently they had no friends and everybody just made fun of them. Maybe they just went there to laugh at them as well. Probably. yeah. Like, (laughs) Oh my God, are these guys really performing in the middle of school? Like, what are they doing? Losers. But yeah, no, there were some funny moments. I mean, I thought it was funny when they were walking through the gym and they bump into the basketball team and the basketball team shoves like Joel and then he shoves like the bassist and the drummer and then Benji sort of comes out the back and he just like daps them all up like yeah. they're boys with Benji but hate everybody else. <laughs> I thought that was always kind of funny. Yes, I did find that amusing too. Benji always was the coolest guy in the band. Yeah, for sure. He was mysterious, quiet, just an easy guy to get along with. He always looked the coolest too. He always had like... The most tattoos and the coolest hairdo and the most makeup on. Yeah, he definitely would be the most punk baseball player the world's ever known. Yeah, definitely. Track number two, Waldorf Worldwide. Listen up, cause it ain't nothing funny. I want a hot girl and a little bit of money. I want a little house where my band can live. Cause we're tired of moving every other weekend. I want to go to parties where they got no guns. I want to rock with my band. I want to have a little fun with thugs and punks. I don't believe this one was a single mic, but I do remember this one being one of the better ones on the album. In fact, it's my favorite song, Mike. Whoa, Keen Bean, nice. This is this is a good one. Yeah. I would say that I know we're not doing historical favorites. <laughs> oh boy. This one actually my historical favorite is my current favorite, so Oh, okay. But I would say this is like the most consistent one I go back to. Like when I think of this album, Waldorf Worldwide is probably the first song that comes to mind. It's so catchy. It's a similar formula to Little Things, like rapping in the verses, followed by super catchy choruses and killer harmonies. But yeah, this one just stands out a little bit more to me. The theme of it, I think it's about their ambition, but also their frustration. Like they're recognizing that they're currently at the bottom, 
but want to continue to chase their dreams. They're not going to give up. They're going to do whatever it takes to kind of get there, uh, so to speak, to become famous and rich and be these popular, you know, pop punk artists. Yeah, their ultimate goal is to go from Waldorf to worldwide, to be known all over the world. It touches on their experience growing up on welfare and trying to pay their rent and just trying to get by in life. And I really love this song because it's basically the band calling their shot. They have to be a little bit cocky to have put this out on their first album. No real tangible success to speak of as of yet. And still, at the end of this song, they say, we'll see you when we get there on the video, on the radio, in the magazines and on the movie screens. So it's like they're telling us we are going to be everywhere. We are going to be the band that you look in Rolling Stone and there we are. And even like the movie screen, they were actually featured in. Do you remember this one, Keenan? Not another teen movie. Oh, yeah. Didn't they perform at like a dance or something like a high school dance? Yeah, they were the band that was playing in the prom scenes of that movie. That's right. Yeah. Do you remember what they were performing? Oh, it's just so funny you should mention that, Keenan. <laughs> I did do a little bit of research, and they play I Want Candy, a classic dance song. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, they actually released a cover of that, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah, no original songs on that soundtrack, because I was going to say it'd be cool if they had like a song on that soundtrack, but they do I Want Candy, and that's the part of the movie where like one guy leans over to a girl and says, it's crazy that everybody at this school is a synchronized dancer or a trained dancer. (laughs) Yeah, because all those movies back then, they would inevitably have one of those scenes where like everybody nails this amazingly choreographed dance. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. And they also perform Put Your Head on My Shoulder. The classic lovey-dovey song, but... Oh, that's a good one. It's after... And, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, this will sound insane, and it kind of is, but it's after the girl with two heads wins prom queen, and in my rewatch of this scene, I noticed for the first time that Joel actually sings, put your heads on my shoulder. Oh, wow. Yeah. I laughed out loud at that, and I was a bit embarrassed, but pretty funny. That's a little nugget of humor there. Nice. Put your hands on my shoulder. Hold me in your arms, baby. Squeeze me oh so tight and show me that you love me too. I gotta say, not only do I like this song just because of how catchy it is and I don't know, it's got a cool message to it, but this song brings me back to you and me in the car singing Good Charlotte. And we would drive to the local college campus, Gwen and Mercy, and we would do that thing where we'd go on those Gwen runs where we would just like go and hang out and, you know, blast music and walk around. And this is one that I always think about because it has such like a perfect harmony and the vocals are just so fun to sing. And I was kind of hoping we could 
I mean, this could be a total, uh, <laughs> total catastrophe, but I was hoping we could try to, uh, bring that back a little bit, relive the glory days and see if we can harmonize on this. I'd be willing to. Part of what made that so great is we turned the song up very loud. So you couldn't necessarily hear us as much as you could hear them. <laughs> it would just drown us out. And you yeah. could feel it when you were singing. You're like, I feel like I am singing perfectly along with this song. Yeah. So were we? We're about to find out. <laughs> hey, and if it's terrible, we'll just edit it out. You'll have no idea this ever happened. That's but uh, all right, here we go. Let's give it a whirl. Everything's gonna be alright now, everything's gonna be alright Get down, stay up all night now, let's do this one more time Everything will be alright, alright Bring it in, bring it in, what? Bring in the verse, uh Oh, can we hit the end part, the we'll be self-made millionaires? I don't know if I can do that part well Do you want me to try? Yeah Yeah I don't know if I hit any of those notes. Everything is going to be all right, all right now. Everybody say, oh yeah, that's right. Wow, dude. Zoom just asked if I was singing music. Yeah, mine was asking something about that too. Set oh, up professional weird. audio and audio settings. Damn, okay. Wow, guess we didn't sound that bad. Must have been pretty good. <laughs> Mike, I don't know. We'll see what it sounds like in post, but uh, I think we still got it. It feels good, Keenan. That's the important part. But It did feel good. I'm not sure if I hit any of the right notes. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounded okay to me. Even just singing it, like it brings me back like, this is one of the good ones, one of the best yeah. ones, I should say. They're all good. And it's one that we can just pick up and sing in a car, and it doesn't matter if we sound like shit because it's just fun to do. We feel it, man. We feel GC's message that right now things might suck, but one day you'll get there. They're speaking directly to us, Mike. Track number three, The Motivation Proclamation. Found you lazy and this crazy. Days inside my head You're so selfish, you're not the only Why do things taste dead? I'm paid to smile, now I'm on trial But what you think I said But I never said That everything would be okay And I never said That we would live to see another Can I start this with a quick misheard lyric, Mike? Mm-hmm. I always thought that this song started with Joel saying, Benj, you're lazy, referring to his brother Benji. <laughs> Is that not the case? <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you should mention that, Keenan, because I have my CD insert pamphlet oh. here. Oh, nice. 
And it actually includes the lyrics to all these songs. So let's check it out. Yeah, what does it say? Spend. S-P-E-N-D. Damn it. Yeah, when I looked it up online, it said, spend your lazy, endless crazy days inside my head. I just thought he was calling out his brother for being lazy. Did you think that up until, like, recently? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I thought it up until this week. Really? I would always sing it as bend your lazy. I guess you never picked up on that. Yeah. Well, I always say there's ones where I know it's not the right line, but it's what I've always sung, so I don't really care. Yeah. So that's I'm okay. I'm still going to say bend your lazy. It is what it is. Yeah. That's good. But this was the second single. And it's about combating apathy in life and trying to find something within you that motivates yourself to get out of bed, get out there, and do something worthwhile, do something of note with your life. I think it's actually a pretty positive song coming from, you know, the guys in Good Charlotte, a more positive message than we're used to seeing, at least. Yeah, I think it's a good metaphor, maybe not even a metaphor, but I think it's just a good song that captures the feeling of depression anxiety that can be so crippling but yeah it's all about overcoming that i wasn't sure is this about a specific person who's kind of trapped in that or is it about like a couple that's trying to bring themselves out of it um it seems like there's this back and forth between one person and another where they're like stuck in this rut together and trying to motivate each other to like get off their butts and go do something that's what i always heard one of my classic themes that i don't think of that you always think of and then I say oh yeah that could be it is I think it could also be referring to the relationship with the media or the culture at large because Mm. Joel says I'm paid to smile now I'm on trial for what you think I said so yeah it could be a relationship or it could be things that artists run into where it seems at times especially back in the day everything that they said was so hyper analyzed that You could get upset or get angry about little interviews or quotes, and then they have to try to address that, and it's not really what they got in the business to do. Yeah. To your point, Mike, as a follow-up to Waldorf Worldwide, which is about them wanting to hit it big and become these super big celebrities, maybe this is like the other side of that, where once you hit that level of fame, all of a sudden you have these other issues that you're dealing with, where you always have to kind of be at your best and on your toes and you know, that can really weigh on you. So I thought this was like the other side of that cycle where you go through these really big lulls. um, And sometimes you do sort of peek back to the top and hit success, which would be what they want to achieve in Waterford Worldwide. So maybe it's a response to that song. Yeah. And, you know, the ultimate message that I always got from it is when they say, you know, we're gonna live to see another day. So from my young teenage angsty perspective, that was always something that I could keep in mind, like, okay, today might suck, but, you know, we're going to live, we're going to get to tomorrow, and we're going to see how tomorrow is when we get there. So I think that was a a good message. And the title itself, the Motivation Proclamation, I assume that's a reference to the Emancipation Proclamation, right? Which is what freed the slaves. So I think that's a reference to them wanting to be free from this cage of whatever it is, anxiety, depression pressure that you get from your fans or from the media i thought that was kind of a a subtle little reference maybe it wasn't subtle but i didn't really take the time to think about it until now yeah i think it's safe to say that those two proclamations aren't very comparable in terms of their historical significance (laughs) Uh, i think it's fair to say yeah big picture very general theme there's nothing wrong with freeing yourself and experiencing freedom in life and being able to fully 
invest yourself into things that you want to do without having to answer to anybody else, Keenan. <laughs> All right. Abe Lincoln and then Good Charlotte. Perfect combination there. Well, hopefully that's the first and last time we touch on slavery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Also, a music video for this one, Mike. It is the second single, so music video. Yeah, this music video was kind of easy-paced. It was... <laughs> A little bit literal. It was all the guys sitting around a house being lazy and yep. over the course of the video, motivating themselves to get up and play the song and rock out and, you know, get on with their lives, so to say. Get out of the ruts that they're in and play music, make beautiful music with one another. Pretty straightforward video. Not a whole lot to it. But I will say the scenes towards the tail end of the video where they're all just like rocking out together and jumping around in sync and in unison some pretty cool images there. Clearly they're, uh, you know, putting all their effort and all their passion into what they love, which is their music. So that's always kind of fun to see. Absolutely. Can't think of anything more fun to see. <laughs> <laughs> also, did you notice the TV show that's uh, playing on their TV? Undergrads, which they have a very close connection to. Yeah, I never actually watched that show when it was on. Did you ever catch any episodes of that? I want to say I've seen a couple clips, but... No, I, I can't tell you much about it. I think it's about, as the title would suggest, is about college kids and them navigating college life. But no, I don't remember too much. I think it became one of those like cult classics where if you watch one or two episodes, you became obsessed with it and, you know, binge the whole season. It was on MTV, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. MTV had a couple of those. Like Clone High was another one where. Oh, yeah. Clone High was a big one. Only yep. a few episodes got made, but. Daria. Yeah, but. Uh, a lot of people really enjoyed them. So pretty cool. Track number four, East Coast Anthem. East Coast, baby. We love the East Coast, Mike. Keenan, nothing gets me riled up like an East Coast anthem. <laughs> I love that they're claiming the entire East Coast for themselves. Like, they mentioned D.C. at the beginning of the song, and then they're just like, eh, actually, we're from the East Coast, and that's our thing, and we love it, and is what it is. Yeah. There's a lot of different types of places along the East Coast. We would consider ourselves East Coast as well living outside of Philadelphia, which I guess we're, you take a big look at the U.S., we're definitely on the East Coast, but we're not really on the coast, so I don't want to be like a poser. <laughs> you brought this up before. <laughs> Have I? We've actually talked about this. I don't know if you remember, we talked about like what constitutes an East Coast city. We've gotten to thorough debates about like where Philadelphia is in relation to like Jersey and how far we actually are from the ocean. I don't remember what my previous argument was. <laughs> I don't remember either. <laughs> I can just say that now, yeah, in the current day, when I hear this song, I think they're talking about me. Okay, yeah, yeah. we can agree on that. I think they're talking about me too. And growing up, there's a couple things over my life when I couldn't 
buy things because I was a child, but I remember at a young age, they had a shirt on their website that just had Good Charlotte on the front, and on the back it said, On the East Coast We Ride. Ooh, I like that. And I thought that was so cool. And uh, it's online different places now, but I don't really think I would wear it these days. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I guess I, I guess I could, but... If you can find that online, I would buy one with you and wear it. All right, I'll take a look. I don't know if GC okay. made 2XL. <laughs> a lot of skinny pop punk kids back in the early 2000s. That's true. Good point. While we're on that line, Keenan, that is my tattoo line this week. Which one? On the East Coast, we ride until we die. All right, Mike, can I tell you something? Sure. I don't usually pick tattoo lines, but I actually said, you know what? This week, once I read that, once I heard it again, I said, I'm going to have a tattoo line, and it's on the East Coast, we ride until we die. That's awesome. Now, let me ask for some clarification. Is okay. your tattoo when they say, on the East Coast, we ride until we die? Or is it at the end when they say, because on the East Coast, we ride. Is it the long one that includes the day we die or just on the east because we ride until we die, you know? Yeah. um, Mine's the the short short one. one. The first one. Yeah. yeah. Mine's the short Um, one as well. That's the one that I like. The long one's a little too long. And I feel like I'd have to actually spell it out like with all the syllables. And I don't think I have enough real estate for that. So I decided to go with the shorter one. And this is my first task too, Mike. So I'm keeping it simple. But I do like that. I'm a huge fan, and I noted uh, in my review, it was the easiest call for a tattoo line ever. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, the fact that I picked it out is just testament to how amazing it is. Yeah. I knew going into this album, this was going to be it, so. Nice. Kind of nice. But East Coast and tattoos aside, this is kind of just the band talking about them growing up and, again, not really fitting in with society, people judging them for the way they walk, the way they talk, and the way they swing their hands, Keenan. They're just walking like Vince McMahon in 1999 WWF. That's right. Swinging yeah. their hips and their arms when they walk. Yeah, I couldn't figure out if this was like an overly positive or an overly negative view of East Coast and DC. Like, I got the sense that they wanted to say that they're proud of being from the East Coast, but. They're also saying that the mean streets of D.C. have kind of made them into cold and rough around the edges, almost like these types of cities on the East Coast toughen them up. So I don't know. It wasn't like super positive, was it? No, I think it's a lot of what we talked about with Sum 41, where there's the way that life is and the way that your surroundings are and a lot of things that you're just really not able to have much of an effect over. Yeah. Like Joel's singing... This is how I grew up. This is the way it was. And, you know, you can judge me for how I behave, but I had to adapt to those circumstances in order to survive. And you, frankly, just won't understand that from where you're sitting. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. Kind of interesting. It's just more about how you grew up and what made you you, I guess. I think so. And reflecting on people's interpretation of you, like, you can see this angry kid this punk and you don't really know the half of it so it's a long way of saying don't judge a book by its cover yeah okay i like that i do want to send one quick shout out here mike to my cousin james james damiano my good buddy we used to rock out 
to this album when we were in middle school in my grandparents' basement. We found crutches in the corner that belonged to one of our parents, and we would use those as air guitars and listen to this entire <laughs> album straight through. Um, one of the great memories when I listened to this album. But I did reach out to him, and East Coast Anthem is his favorite song. Awesome. With a stipulation here, Mike, he actually said that his other favorite song from this album is one that he can't find when he looks for it on Spotify. Maybe you can enlighten me on this. There's another song called The Click that I also love and a lot of people love. I know my brother Shane also loves this song and we've talked about this before. We look for it and we can't find it on the track listings, the discography, on Spotify, wherever you look for it. This song just doesn't really exist anymore. What's the deal with that? Keenan, it's really a terrible situation we found ourselves in, but I agree with James. The Click is a fantastic song. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the one that starts out like this. Just because I walk like Obi-Wan Kenobi You people talk, but you don't even know me And that's alright, cause I get down with GC So I walk on and listen to their CD Some people laugh, they do it just to spite me Behind my back, they don't know what I see But I don't care what they say, I don't need them anyway I'll just go about my day, but anyway You're absolutely right. It's not on Spotify. If you look on Wikipedia, it's not in the official track listing. It's listed separately as a Japanese bonus track. Yeah. And I'm here with firsthand evidence to say that's a bunch of nonsense, Keenan. I have my CD and my CD pamphlet from the 2000 album, U.S. version. I didn't go to Japan when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And track number 10 is called The Click. It's on the official album as track number 10. And uh, everywhere else these days, it's just not there. Track number 10 is Walk By, which we'll get to. But that said, it is interesting because the pamphlet has all of the lyrics to the songs. But under The Click, it says, for The Click lyrics, go to www.goodcharlotte.com. What? Really? Yeah, so a little early Whoa. adoption of the internet, trying to get people to traffic to your site. What is going on here? But it was on the album. It was on the U.S. version of this album, and I'm not sure why people are trying to rewrite history. There's nothing wrong or offensive about that song. It's a very, very good song. So I want hashtag justice for the click. <laughs> okay, I am just doing some more digging around right now, Mike, and on Wikipedia it says not only was it a track on the Japanese version of the album but also on the 2003 re-release of this album so i don't know do you and james just have the re-release i I don't know but that's interesting had a good point james seems to think that there's a conspiracy here and he wants us to write a letter to good charlotte which i think we have to do i think we're obligated to do it i think we should too something stinks mike i definitely do have the 2003 re-release because oh i bought this album after the young and the hopeless so Okay, well, there you go. If Young and the Hopeless came out in 2002, I probably bought this shortly thereafter. They probably re-released this after the huge success of the Young and the Hopeless. 
Also, now that I think about it a little bit more, Mike, The Click was also the theme song for that TV show that we mentioned, Undergrads. So maybe there was something there with like the rights of this song and where it could and cannot be reproduced. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure Undergrads had a stranglehold on Epic (laughs) Records. Yeah, maybe the fat cats from MTV, Mike, are trying to exert their dominance a little bit and penny pinch. That could be. But while we're on the subject, I think... There's a lot of great songs on this album. The Click is one of them. It does carry a similar theme to the rest of them where it's about them not fitting in and them not saying what other people have to say when they criticize Good Charlotte. So we could repeat that in more words, but I think we all love The Click and uh, there's my assessment of it. They're speaking directly to us, Mike. With that, Keenan, what do you say we ride on out of here? Hopefully we don't die before next week's part two. East Coast for life, baby. Until next week, check us out, poppunkprojectgmail.com, on Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject, patreon.com slash poppunkproject. Peace. I just laugh at them relating being bullied in high school to their dad abandoning them. Yeah. These are two similar experiences in my life right now. (laughs) Yeah. Like as a 16-year-old. Yeah, same thing. A girl broke up with me and my dad left forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, You know, the little things in life, Mike. Yeah, some bigger than others.